Hello, friends. This is David Pasqualone with the Remarkable People Podcast, Season 2, Episode 29, The Ken Coleman Story. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here today. I missed you. I can't wait to get started with this episode. Mr. Ken Coleman is going to share his story of where he's been, where he's at today, where he's going, how he found purpose in life, his God-given calling, how he's fulfilling it, and how you can too. So before we get started, I just want a special shout out to our listeners who are leaving feedback on our Apple podcast, Spotify, and the different platforms out there. So real quick, at the end of the episode, I'm going to give a special shout out to a couple of our viewers and listeners and community members. You're all remarkable people, but thank you for taking the time to put some comments down and give us a five-star review. Thank you so much. Also, at the end of the episode, there's going to be a special offer and there's going to be a free book given away. Ken's latest book, The Proximity Principle. So keep listening and at the end, find out about these amazing offers. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. When we started this, we were supposed to be as the Lord led every couple weeks, maybe once a month. And we've been doing a show every single week, and it's been awesome. But I got to be honest with you, sometimes I'm tired. And as much fun as podcasting is, it's tough to hit that weekly deadline. So I don't plan on not giving an episode every Monday at 2 a.m. Central Standard Time. But if I miss, sign up. All you do is click a button to subscribe when you're in Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. And then when the episodes are released, it lets you know. Another way you can know is sign up to receive our weekly emails at davidpasqualone.com forward slash RPP, Remarkable People Podcast. So davidpasqualone.com forward slash RPP. Sign up for our weekly email. And then that'll also give you access to episodes that are not published. It's only episodes for our remarkable community. So before we begin this awesome episode with Ken Coleman, Remember to hang all the way through the end, get a special shout out, some special offers from you for you. And then I want to take this moment to thank our sponsors, Pam Heinel. We've talked about Pam in season one and season two. And if you are in the Pensacola area, if you're thinking about moving to the Pensacola area, if you are in the Pensacola area and looking to buy, sell, or rent your dream home, give Pam a call. You can find her information in the show notes. You can find her information on my website. But if you are looking or even trying to explore what's available in this economy and what's going on, call Pam. Pam Heinold, Better Homes and Garden Real Estate, Pensacola, Florida. You will not be disappointed. Next sponsor, us. Podcasting Made Easy. How to start a successful podcast in eight weeks or less. This is a class I'm actively developing, and it's constantly growing. When you're part of the class, there's not only a 
a group, a small group live. Not only are those recordings put online forever, but you get access to a library that as I learn different software and hardware and different tips and tricks, I'm putting this content on the website. It's an eight-week program to how to start your own podcast, and you can take it in the eight weeks or at your own pace. You can take it in a live small group, or you can take it online only. And while we're developing this class now, the retail value will be $395 for the live small groups. But as a remarkable community member right now, just let me know if you want to be in and you're in for free. Just sign up for our mailing list, shoot me an email and say, Dave, let me in the class, please. Boom, done, no charge. Now, right now, it is June of 2020. It might be July of 2020. It might be June of 2021. This offer is not going to last forever, but if you get in now, you have lifetime access free just for being part of our remarkable community. So let's get this interview started. You're going to be in for, you are in for a real treat. Ken Coleman is an incredible dude, a remarkable dude, fantastic story, and he's here to help. He loves you. He wants to help you grow. And he's going to give you hands-on, step-by-step advice straight from his book, The Proximity Principle, that'll get you from where you're at today to where your dream and passion is and where you're supposed to be, your purpose in Christ, fulfilling it, living it, loving it, and having a a dream life that's a reality. So on that note, get your pens, get your paper, as long as you're not driving, and then take some notes and don't forget the most important part apply it. So at this time, let's welcome our remarkable friend, Ken Coleman. Ken, how are you today, brother? Dave, I am uh, having the time of my life, living the dream, and excited to be talking with you. Oh, likewise. To the listener, just so you know who Ken is, Ken has his own remarkable story. He's an author, he's a radio host, he's with Ramsey Solutions, and he's here today to talk about something that the majority of the world struggles with in this generation, finding our purpose. So what we're going to do today is Ken's going to go through his story, how he found his purpose, and not only found it, but acted on it and how you can too. So Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. And please just share your story. Yeah, well, you know, I was a kid who grew up in a fantastic home, just my brother and I, and a great mom and dad, tremendous work ethic, came from a evangelical pastor's home. And so the environment that I grew up in was was equal parts loving and also challenging in the sense that we were challenged early on to really look at the big picture and our role in the world, you know, because of our belief that we were created specifically and in and, and, and being created, we were created with talent, which is what we do well naturally. We can hone that into skill and then passion, which is, you know, what, what makes our heart come alive? Every human being has has passion and that can be developed and, and it continues to grow throughout our entire journey. And, and then the idea of what are you going to do with that? You know, there was very much uh, the word mission and, 
and, and, and missionaries and all that was very real in our life. And so we just had a bigger perspective because of the environment we grew up in. So that was the environment I grew up in. And at the age of 16, felt very clear that I was being called into politics. Uh, my dad loves history. I took on that love of history as well. And uh, so felt like that I was being called to do public service uh, in the in the political field. And so that was the path that I took from the age of 16 on through college and left college early. I'm a uh, proud college dropout. I dropped, <laughs> I dropped out to actually work in political campaigns. I did not drop out to see the world and find myself. I actually went at it and got to work. And and then when I came back to college, after taking one semester off, my in between my sophomore and junior year to work on a congressional race, I was shot. It was just, there was no, there was no way I was going to make it in a classroom having been on the battlefield. And so I left with about a semester and a half left to go to work on a Senate race and then a gubernatorial race and find myself at the age of 22, turning 23, working for the governor of Virginia and got married to Stacy that same year. And so we're newlyweds and I'm working for the governor of Virginia and it was a lot of fun for about six weeks. And then I, <laughs> and then I realized that there's a big difference between governing and campaigning, huge difference. So a little bit of unrest there in the big picture, though, helped guide me from, okay, I'm not going to stay in government. I can't. I can't do that right now. The bureaucracy is just so slow. You had to put the pitchfork down, and it was, it was all about the coffee cups, which was a great lesson later on in life. But nonetheless, I got out into the private sector. And the reason was is I wanted to build a business resume so that I could run for office. So that was all part of the plan. I just fast forward a little bit. And so got into the, the public speaking world, the speaker bureau world, helping run a speaker bureau in Nashville, Tennessee, and then jumped from there after about four or five years, jumped from there to work for John Maxwell, the leadership guru in Atlanta. Felt like I picked the neighborhood that that was in a good district that I could run for state Senate or maybe House of Delegates. And so everything was kind of just kind of going along and I had put everything in place and I turned 30 and the political scene had changed tremendously. And I won't go into this. I'm trying to, you just asked me the biggest <laughs> opening to question in the world, tell your story. And it's just like, good grief or people. So I'll race through this and then let And Hey, not, it. not to interrupt you, Ken, yeah, please but just so you know, the typical format of the show is you tell your story you mm. tell your greatest challenges yeah. or victories, yeah. and then you give the practical steps of how you did it so the yeah. listeners can, too. All right, good. So this is perfect, brother. All right, so I'm 30, and I'm looking at the political scene, and I'm disheartened by what's going on. And what I sense is a real loss of principled leadership. Maybe it was never there. <laughs> and so you've got this idealist 30-year-old who has been dreaming about this for, since he was 16, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm faced with a crisis of what is happening here. I, I don't think I can be effective. I don't think anybody can be effective in politics, not to the level that I believe someone should be effective. And I'm really down and discouraged by the whole process, lack of leadership that I see. And so it puts me in a funk for several months. And I'm working and I'm in a VP in a company, you know, for John Maxwell. And I'm going, I don't, I don't want to be a VP, a corporate guy. I'm not a corporate leader. That's not my jam. And so I'm really wrestling with what's going on. And through a series of, of 
instances where my mind was fresh and my mind was really open to what else could I do. I don't think that I've wasted all this time per se on pursuing a public role. So if it's not politics, what could it be? And the media and broadcasting became something that went from an idea to a fascination. And, and, and by the way, there's a little lesson there, you know, you got to allow ideas sometimes to sit around long enough and, and, and become, you know, kind of truly fantasize about them and let your mind really go and, 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 you know, become fascinated and bring that childlike wonder back to say, Hmm, what could be, is this fun? Should I do this? And so I really went through that process. And so about that time, Maxwell sold his company, new leadership came in. And I was gently let go. It was the nicest firing that a person could ever have. And you know, <laughs> it wasn't really surprising because it wasn't just me. It was, you know, five or six of executives. Of, they, we were just like, hey, we don't need you. We got our own executives. And so we were pushed out of the nest. Yeah, so, part of the process. That's right. And because uh, they were good folks. And so anyway, so now all this is happening. So I'm restless. Okay. And I'm wondering about what my future is because my heart has changed. And then all of a sudden my, my position changes, right? I get pushed out of the nest. And so it's this, whoa, what's going on? And so fortunately had a lot of contacts and had built up some credibility and, and Maxwell's credibility really helped me. So a lot of people came calling for consulting and, you know, those type of jobs. And so that kept me going. I started a company out of that and, and realized that, Hey, I need to be self-employed right now to give myself as many options and freedom to pursue those options. And so while I'm doing that, it, I really start to look into the broadcasting side of things and not knowing where in broadcasting, I, I really wanted to end up not knowing how I was going to get there. I just started doing stuff and took a broadcasting class with a bunch of 20 year olds two weeks in before they realized I was a student with them. I wasn't one of the instructors, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I started doing high school football play by play on the internet. That's the first time I ever did a live broadcast. So two people were listening, the kid next to me and then my wife, because she's a really good woman. And yeah. that was the first time. <laughs> and the quarterback's mom. Yeah, she was probably listening to you. You're right. And, and, and so it was a humbling process, but I knew that I had to go learn something and I had to really kick the tires. I started doing a football, Friday night football show on a country station an hour and a half from home. I mean, I was doing anything and everything. I interned at a local ESPN affiliate. In Atlanta, it's a big station. I was getting Sprite for guys that I was making more money than, you know, screening their calls. I was spending three days a week, three hours a day of those three days, just volunteering my time to get in. And that led to some opportunities to get on the air. And then that led to some opportunities to get on Comcast Sports Southeast. And so I just kept going and going and going and going and trying to do things. And, and yet, at the same time, while I was doing those things, there were things that I, w I wasn't doing and I was discouraged too, you know, so I'd have these bursts of activity and they didn't turn into things right away. And so I got discouraged. Now I can look back and see those, all those things led to something positive, whether it be, I learned something or I was able to do something or I was able to connect with somebody. At the time, it didn't seem that way, but looking back, you see God was in it. hundred percent. And, and I write about that's what the proximity principle does for you, allows you to learn, do, and connect. And I didn't realize I was, I was, I was doing some really good things. But uh, again, I want to tell the underbelly side of the story because I don't want it to just seem like, oh, Ken was just a, a beehive of activity and 
man, that dude, he just oh, he just went, 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 went. Well, you know, I'm giving the highlights of the, some of the things I did, but you're talking about a three to four year process where I did some things that had a burst of activity, but I sat scared and uh, dealt with some rejection as well. And that really discouraged me. Yeah, that's, I wanted you to define your funk. You said you were in a funk, and for everybody that means different things. But what was your funk, and how did you get out? Well, I had several seasons of funk, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, the, one of the one of the seasons of funk was doubt that could I get there. So I mentioned that when I was early on. Do I do I pursue broadcasting? And I didn't know necessarily where or what. Uh, I wanted to do in broadcasting other than I wanted to be on the mic or in front of a camera. I knew that, but I didn't know, was it sports? Was it politics? You know, and there's just a lot of uncertainty. And so when you begin to, to really stare at the idea of, do I want to climb this mountain or do I want to climb this mountain or this mountain? It gets really intimidating. And so the first season of funk was doubt, you know, doubt. Do I a have the chops, the talent to actually do what it is that I think I want to do. And then just when you're dealing with that wave of doubt, here comes the other wave of doubt. And that is, is it too late? I'm 31. Now I'm 32, you know, I'm 31 about to be 32, you know? And so there's just the doubt of, did I miss the boat? So, that 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 was a pretty big deal and you feel like why didn't i realize this sooner why, you know why did i chase politics you know god what's going on i mean am i delusional is it really politics and i just kind of have allowed my principles and my purest kind of attitude to give me a nasty taste in my mouth and i'm walking away and i shouldn't walk away cuz i've got all these political contacts you know i could leave georgia probably within 30 days and get to virginia where all my contacts are and you know, and, and, and get active there. You know, I just begin to doubt so many things. And when you're besieged by doubt, folks, I can tell you this, you're not seeing clearly. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a debilitating, debilitating uh, factor in your life when you're just consumed with doubt. So that was one of the funks. And then, you know, later on, uh, definitely was dealing with the f- the funk of fear, you know. By the way, I love that the funk of fear. That know? could be your next book. Uh, it might be. It might be just a lesson on the radio <laughs> show today. But you know, so what fear does? So fear, uh, it lo- a lot like doubt, right? It makes you unclear. And with fear, you're you're in that fight or flight mode, right? We know that from the brain. They call it the lizard brain. And and so I was in seasons where I was fearful that, you know, if I keep going on this, I'm going to wreck myself financially. You know, I was afraid of what other people would say. Why are you going for this, man? It's too late. This is, you're in your thirties and this is a young man's game. You you blew 12 years. You know, what are other people going to say? And I'll tell you the other thing that really got me was fear of rejection. I had experienced enough rejection early on where people would say, man, you just don't have the experience uh, it's too hard for a guy with a wife and three kids to to get into this. No, we're gonna pass, you know, and just feeling rejected, and that's a that's a tough tough feeling that stings, and nobody likes that. So those were the those were the you know, and again over about a five year period after I've gotten kicked out of the nest. If we go to the story there where I've run my business, there was about a five year period where those fears and doubts would ebb and and then flow. And the way I got through it, to answer your question, 
is two things. First, I really got honest with God and honest with myself, and I got to a point where I really truly did believe that I was doing what I was called to do and that I, that I really did have what it takes and that I, and that God had really put this vision on my heart and, and I, I really had done the homework on what I believe of, about creation and how we were created and that this stuff was, this stuff was true and pure what I wanted to do. So that strengthened my faith. So when you get a sense that, Hey, this is not bad pizza and this is not delusion and ambition run amok. So my faith was huge. That's the spiritual side of it. But there's a verse in Hebrews that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I think some people just go, okay, I have faith. I have faith. Okay, God, do it. And I don't think that's good theology. And so the the second part is, is that I did have the faith that what I was pursuing was right and that God would open doors but that I had to actually step up my faith game. So I, there's the belief part and then there's the do part. Faith so, without works is dead. That's it. And, and Ephesians two ten, you know, and so that's when I said, all right, I have to go from believing to allowing the belief to, you know, power my actions because I can tell you, I believe something all day long, but if I don't act on it, and something's not right. And so I will tell you it was biting my lip, biting the stick, whatever analogy you want, and stepping into the unknown continuously. And I think that's what worked. That's how I overcame it every time is I had to retreat back to what I say on the show all the time is when you're, when you're attacked by fear and doubt, you've got to retreat to clarity because fear and doubt are liars so whatever fear is telling you and doubt are telling you, that's a lie. So the way that you overcome it and how you retreat to clarity is to expose the lie. And, and so in my situation here, I would start to feel doubt and fear. And I told you all what the voices were. And I would, I would go back to it and go, wait a second. Is this, do I have the talent? Was I created with the talent to do this kind of work, this broadcasting? The answer is yes. Okay. Do I love it? Like, do I get excited about it? Does it fire up my soul when I think about it? When I'm in the middle of it, do I just feel like I'm alive? And do I love the end result? And the answer is yes. Okay, great. So I'm back. Okay, so the truth is, A, I'm not delusional. This is not naked, selfish ambition. And so you just begin to deconstruct the lie. And so when you deconstruct the lie, you see how silly the voice of fear and doubt is. You look at it and you go, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? I'm just a scared ninny. You know, buck up, dude. Let's go. You know what truth <laughs> is. Get out there. And so and so then that allows you to focus on the truth. And and that's what empowers you. And it's it's literally the process of defrosting your windshield. If you've ever gotten in the windshield and it's all fogged up and, and you can't see, you can't drive. And the process that I just described really is the defrost and it just kind of gets that windshield clear again and I can see where I need to go. And as a result of being able to see forward i can move forward that's a great illustration uh, i read your book the proximity principle and one of the things i loved is your ability to communicate through the illustration your own through other people's but one thing about that defrost illustration is you do it every morning yeah every morning you get up and defrost yeah. your windshield i grew up outside of boston yeah right right that's a daily activity just like us and god 
That's an awesome, awesome truth, Ken. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. So now, continuing your story, you got this five-year period. Yeah. You had a great mentor under John Maxwell. Yeah, yeah. And then you move on. What goes on from there? Well, I'll take you to, uh, we were just talking about how I got through it, and there was a really watershed moment I write about in the book, and you read it. And uh, I'm self-employed. The business is doing well, taking care of our needs. And I'm in a I'm in a period of of inactivity because I've been rejected a few times, had a couple opportunities I thought might happen, not happen, and I'm in a period of inactivity, and uh, that's a really bad place because when you are inactive in pursuing your dream, it is the it, 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 it's the breeding ground for fear and doubt and pride, and it's like a mold, you know. And miserable. Oh, it's awful. And so <laughs> one day, I've been in a prolonged season of just discouragement. And uh, we had this beautiful back patio that on our in our backyard that opened to the woods behind our house. And and I've got three kids. I think at this point, you're talking like a four year old and two year old and a one year old or something, you know. And so they're upstairs. And so I would go down, and I had an office in the basement that opened up onto this patio. And so my morning routine is is I you know, spend breakfast time with the kids and help Stacy with the kids. And then I get a cup of Joe and I would go downstairs and I would sit on the patio for a little bit and just kind of get my mind, you know, get my mind right for the day and just spend some time thinking and, you know, writing thoughts down. Uh, Cause it was just a beautiful thing. So picture the birds chirping, the sun, you know, the whole nine yards, it's an April morning. It's very cool, but you know, it's just, it's so wonderful. And I'm sitting there and I'm just reflecting about the mindset that I've been in and I just get irritated with myself. And I mean, just like disgusted, you know, yep. and I'm just like, this is, this is pathetic. And this is, this is not who you are. This is not what you know to be true. You've been uh, sitting dormant for too long. It's time for you to get after it. And that's when the thought hits me that I wrote down on my moleskin that morning and I shared it in the book and I've shared it on the radio many times. And this is what I told myself. Nobody's sitting around thinking about how they can help Ken Coleman. Nobody. Like literally nobody. Like my <laughs> really wife, nobody is nobody. Nobody gets up every day and goes, "Hey, I wonder how I can help David grow his podcast." Not unless you've hired somebody to grow your podcast. So let's let's be real here. You understand what I'm saying? So you know, hundred percent. Yeah, and 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 that's the reality. And so at that moment, nobody was waking up going. I need to call Ken Coleman. I think this kid's talented. I think he's got what it takes. He just needs me to give him his radio job. Nobody's doing that. And when I wrote that thought down, nobody's sitting around thinking about how they can help you. It just was a wake-up call to me that I'm going to have to step forward in faith. And, and God's waiting. And God's thinking about it. But nobody else on the earth. And uh, he's waiting for me to move. And so it was a game changer for me. It changed my entire mentality. And within about three months, I had landed the opportunity to pay my way on for 250 bucks a week to have a Saturday show. And I didn't have a ton of money, but I just committed $1,000. I thought, well, I'll get some sponsors to offset it, or you know, I can make a little bit of money, but I got to get on the air. Now's the time. And, uh, and I did, and I grew quickly as far as the reps and 
I loved it. I fell in love with it. It was hard to leave my little kiddos on a Saturday at 11 o'clock for a two o'clock show. But, you know, I was in there an hour before I spent all morning thinking about it. And then I'd go prep for an hour and do the show. And, <laughs> and I mean, just you just wouldn't believe the amount of, of time I spent on it to try to get decent. And uh, through a series of events, really impressed the station owner. And they moved me to two hours and they gave me one hour for free. And then about, that was about six months in. And then almost to a year later from the day I started, they said, we're not going to charge you anymore. We'll give you the two hours and we just want your advice. And we will you consult me, the radio owner, because I had a lot of leadership experience and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, I'll consult with you and help you with the business. And so I had the two hours for free. Six months after that, they put me on uh, Monday through Friday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., which is drive time. Wow. And, you know, just by building relationship and, you know, being diligent to help them. And, and they just, they love the content and what we were doing and uh, the energy that the show brought. And so, so now all of a sudden I'm, you know, a year and a half into doing radio and I've got a, a two hour show Monday through Friday from five to seven. And I just can't. I think the lesson I want everybody to get from this is forget radio for a moment. But if you're, if you're pursuing something, and uh, you don't have the degree for it, like I didn't, and, and you, you don't have all the training, you're going to have to go do it yourself. And I cannot express the value of, you know, getting your cuts at the plate and volunteering your time. I write about it in the book, as you know, there's five archetype places in the proximity principle. And this is where this comes from in the book. Cause I went back and looked into the journey, which I'm sharing with you now. And I was like, when I got on, on Saturdays, I was paying somebody to let me be on the air. And so that's the place to practice, right? Or you're not getting paid for it. And you're just on a Saturday afternoon and, and, and nobody's listening. And Will, my publicist sit next to me. He knows Saturday afternoon, AM talk radio is the lowest uh, rated program in the history of the universe. Just nobody's listening. <laughs> you know, it's Saturday. They're all afternoon. watching cartoons. Well, they're watching college football or they're out doing the leaves or they're cutting the grass. I mean, Saturday is like the Saturday and Sunday for Americans is the great American get out. Right. And, and so you're just not going to get a lot of people listening, but the reality is, is that's the place to practice. It's low risk, you know, and I wasn't getting paid for it, uh, but it was a huge opportunity. And so here's my point. Find a place to practice your craft where it's low risk. And we're not worried about getting paid because it's not about that. It's about practice and getting cuts at the plate and really getting good. And I, I just cannot tell you how valuable those Saturdays were and, and, you know, following the, the outline of the book, right, you go from a place to practice to a place to perform. And that's where you're getting paid. And then the radio station started paying me. It wasn't a lot. But, you know, now it's real. Now we've gone from Saturday afternoon to this is the number one talker in Northeast Georgia. And from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. when they're in their cars driving home, they're listening to me. So that, that doesn't happen if I don't spend those Saturdays. You know, just talking to nobody, basically. Yeah, and that's great. I loved when I was reading this because when I was younger, we were very poor. And I remember wanting to learn skills to better our life, exactly what you're talking about in the book. So nobody would hire you. You don't have experience. Well, I can't get experience unless you hire me. So we'd walk up to people and say, hey, I'll work for free for a week. And then if you like what I can do, we'll continue it. That's it. 
but you took it to the step so much further and you honed your skill to this level of greatness. So that's, if you're listening, don't be afraid to put yourself out there to try something new. And a great part of Ken's book is when he talks about failing and the importance of failing. Mm-hmm. Is that something, Ken, you want to talk about now yeah, or do you want to keep yeah. moving forward? No, I'm happy to talk about failure. You know, I, I, so John Maxwell, who I talked about working for, wrote a book called Failing Forward. He later retitled it to Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn, which both titles are great. And, and he's right about that with both titles. You know, you want to fail forward. And, and the idea here is, is that when you fail, there's a wonderful filter that failure puts on, on what just happened. And if you've got enough guts to reflect on what went wrong, why did it go wrong, and then what is that going to inform my mindset? How is it going to inform my mindset? And how will it inform my actions moving forward? If you've got the guts to do that, it's wonderful, and you will fail forward. And so it's not about losing. It's about sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And you know, here's what it does. I talk about this on the program. When you try something and failure is a part of that, it clarifies and verifies. So it clarifies a couple things. This is what all is entitled. I mean, excuse me. Is this is what all is involved in this. So I'm really clear on what it takes to actually do this thing. Now, if I failed at it, that's even better because I've gotten clarity on what all is involved. But if I fail, it's going to do one of two things. It will verify that, yes, I still want to do this even though I failed because I tasted it and boy, oh boy, I want to get back up on the bike, right? It's for the kid who wrecks his bike and one kid goes, uh, I'm done with that. I don't ever want to ride a bike again. That ain't no fun, right? And the other kid goes, all right, oh, that hurt, but I really want to experience the wind in my face. And the kid gets back on the bike. And so that's what failure does. Uh, it, it verifies either I do still want to do this despite the fact that I failed and I skinned my knee uh, and I hurt my elbow or it verifies, eh, 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 not interested in this. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not worth this. And that's really important. And I think most people don't realize the power of trying something and failing to again, clarify and verify and so that's what it taught me. And it just confirmed, you know, the first radio broadcast, I made a bunch of blunders. Now, I, you know, I remember talking to Joe, my producer, who's still with me. I brought him to Ramsey Solutions. He was like, it was nowhere near as bad as you thought it was. We're our worst critic. You know, yeah. But, you know, I remember just making mistakes and just feeling like, oh, that's embarrassing. And I hope nobody was listening to that. But again, just in those first two to three weeks when I made some, what I would call basic broadcasting blunders, it's like the fingernail and chalkboard. I hear young radio people do it and I go, oh gosh, nobody's teaching them, right? That's what I'm talking about, that kind of stuff. But that's what made me better is, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what made me better as a broadcaster because I I failed at those things and experienced it, listened to it. It was painful for me to listen to. It's like, oh don't ever do that again. It's terrible, right? But one other thing I want to point out that I did in this process for the first six months, I had a guy who was a very seasoned sports radio producer. In fact, he had worked for Tony Kornheiser and Colin Coward. These guys are to this day legends. And yep. I met him when I was interning, as I told the story earlier, when I was interning for free at the sports radio station. And we developed a friendship. 
to the point where I said, Chad, I really respect you. How willing are you to, to ride to the station with me maybe one Saturday a month and just listen to the program? I'll buy your lunch afterwards if you just tattoo me and just crush me and tell me everything I did wrong. And he was like, man, nobody ever asked for that these days. And we had developed a friendship. And you know this? This guy went with me every Saturday for three straight months. And then he, then he backed wow. off to one Saturday a month for the remaining three months. That's great because you don't usually find people like that. You don't find people like that because you don't look for people like that. Now, Chad's a great guy, and you, you, you're, but I want to point something out. Chad's a great guy, and he's willing to do it. But you know why he told me years later why he was willing to do it? He goes, because you had the guts to ask me to do it. And he said, I was so blown away by the guts to ask me to even consider doing that because nobody does that anymore. And he said, I felt you had the talent. He said, but I was more impressed and moved to do it because of your humility to say, will you come critique me? And he said, I've, and he said, I really enjoyed it. He goes, cause I just, te- <laughs> he says, I tore it apart. Now he wasn't unkind to me. Chad was never unkind, but he was, he took me through, he would, he would critique everything. He's like, he do, he do a better job teasing to the next segment. He goes, write your T's out. Your T's need to be written out or typed out. You need to do that. He goes, when you're interviewing a guest, every second question, you need to identify the show. You know, you're joining, you're joining the Ken Coleman show as I talk to David Pascalone right now here on WDUN. You know, he taught me that. Well, I'm telling you, that's pro stuff that I would have never known how to do. And it was those kind of things that the station manager paid attention to. It said, my host, my full-time host don't even do that stuff. He's like, who taught nice. you to do that? And I went, Chad Scott. <laughs> and, and he did. And, and, and Chad really invested in me. So, you know, so, so again, back to the proximity principle, when I write about this stuff in the book, this is all from this journey. And, and so you know what Chad is? Chad's the real life producer. He's the guy that was a big shot producer at the national level. Then he was a producer of the top show at the ESPN affiliate in Atlanta, a number eight market, I think Atlanta is. I mean, we're talking about a top 10 market. And this guy's an actual producer. And because I asked him and I offered to buy his lunch, I got world-class mentoring and boot camping as I'm in a place to practice. That's what I want people to hear. you got to have the guts to do two things there. Here's the lesson. I'm just taking over your podcast here. Is that, is that That's what you're supposed to do, okay, man. Great. So here's the lesson. I just keep hearing in my head as iron sharpeneth iron. Yeah, you're exactly. just living the Bible. This is what you're supposed to do, brother. Yeah, so there's two lessons here. Number one, you got to have the guts to ask for somebody to help you and, uh, and critique you. And then you got to have the guts to actually take the critique. <laughs> because yeah, I run with some it. people who go, yeah, I really love someone to give me, you know, some feedback on this. And it's another thing to receive it. And uh, so two lessons from that story. Nice. Very nice. All right. So now you're in your career. Yeah. You're learning. You're growing. Yeah, you're doing developing. The daily show. Yeah. Stay there again, sir. I'm doing the daily show. Okay. And 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 so I'm you know I'm growing now because I'm daily. So now I go from doing one show a week to five shows a week. I go from doing two hours a week to ten hours a week. So you can see the growth right there. Okay. Oh, huge! It's exponential. And, and so I'm getting better and I'm, I'm honing my voice a little bit 
I'm figuring out what I want to do with the show. It wasn't the version that I do now. It was just more of a general positive thing. So I would do an interview one segment. I'd do a rant on something, you know, but it was always around kind of Ziggler, Zig Ziggler's Wheel of Life. So I'd, I'd do a marriage topic. I'd do a parenting topic. I'd do uh, a business topic, you know, and I stayed away from politics because I was kind of trying to carve out this. There's enough politics on talk radio. They don't need one other guy uh, shouting and screaming at them about how the world could come to the end if we don't storm the castle, you know? As so I was like, I'm, that's not going to be me. So I want to do positive and practical content. But that was just about it. So it wasn't a very honed-in vision. But again, here I am in my sandbox trying to figure it out, you know? And alongside all of this, this journey you're hearing is I've got some good friends. My best friend in the world is is running Dave Ramsey's empire, and Dave Ramsey is just you know has already ascended, and now he's blowing up during this mm-hmm. whole this whole seven years, you know, this five to seven years. And uh, I remember my third show on a Saturday. I asked Dave if he would allow me to interview him for two segments, and Dave was like, "Sure, I'll do it." And he came into his office on a Saturday. And piped in via ISDN. And I'll never forget going to the first commercial break. And I had interviewed Dave before for John Maxwell's leadership conference and 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 his pod, I pod, created a podcast for that whole catalyst leadership movement. And uh, so I've done all that and I'm doing the radio show and I'm learning how to do interviews and stuff. It's kind of all going like this at the same time. And so Dave had, I had interviewed Dave before, and so he knew it was going to be a good interview, but I'd never done a live radio interview. And so Chad's teaching me something in week three, and he's telling me how to do the, <laughs> the identifier, you know, so, you know, after the second question, you know, I'm saying things like things Dave never seen me do before. So Dave answers the second question, and I say, you're joining my conversation with best-selling author and nationally syndicated radio icon Dave Ramsey here on the Ken Coleman show on WDUN. Dave, you know, you know, and he's listening to all this, you know, and, and we go to commercial and he's still on in my ears. We go to commercial break and he's still on via ISDN and, and he hears me clear the, 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 the break. And he goes, Coleman, I gotta tell you, man, sounded pretty smooth for only your third radio show. He goes, Keep at it. He goes, six months from now, your pulse will drop. And I'll never forget that. You know, he was so right because he could tell, you know, I was all geeked up and nervous and anxious, you know, and, and you know, it was probably affecting my voice and the rate, and, you know, because when, <laughs> when, when you get a little nervous, you get a little high, you know, or when you get excited, you get high and all this good stuff. And so anyway, I'll never forget he said that and take that to, you know, here I am on daily and Dave, Dave's team at his behest called me. And so I'm doing this daily show now. So this is two years later and he calls, uh, they call and they say, Hey, we've got this new event. We want to do called the smart conference where we're going to have an all day event and several speakers from Dave's friends and several different pieces of life content. And we want you to host it. We want to pay you to host it. And, uh, are you interested? And if so, come up to Nashville and let's have an all day meeting. Let's brainstorm the event and get your take on it and see if we can, come up with something. So I did, and they agreed to do the the event and they agreed to hire me for just a contract to do the one day event. And I had seen Dave earlier in the day, but had met with his team all day. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. And so it's 5.15, 5.20 PM. 
and I'm in a room with three or four of his executives and we're wrapping our day up. And here comes Dave. He comes walking in the room and uh, he's like, you're still here. And I said, yeah, it's been a great day. He goes, well, that's awesome. He goes, well, Coleman, I'm about to hit you with something. He goes, we've been talking about you behind your back. And I said, okay. I said, I hope it's good. And he said, it's very good. And he basically went on to detail out a position that they wanted me to consider to join them. It was to be the video channel host. It was at the, at the time he was two years into a YouTube channel. And so when he yep. would go to radio break, the video channel would keep going. And so we would do our own commercials on the video channel, but I would do a lot of live stuff. So think Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Ryan Seacrest stuff, interacting with people, whatever you, you know. And so he said, we want you to take that over. Because we, right now we just have a producer who's just holding the mic. You don't even see his face, you know. And so we want to kind of take that <laughs> to the next level. Well, the second thing we want you to do is take over the Entree Leadership Podcast, which at the time was one of the top leadership podcasts in the country and still is. And so I was like, whoa, that's a massive platform bump there. Just taking over that and doing interviews, which I love to do. And they knew that. And I developed a, a reputation as a good interviewer. And so I was like, well, that's great. And then the third thing was... We want you to emcee all of our live events. We do about 40 live events a year. We want you to emcee those events. No pressure. Yeah, no, but I'd done that for Catalyst, and I'd been on stage in front of 12,000 people many times. So I couldn't cover everything I've done in my story. It's just like impossible. So anyway, I was like, all right, this is a good deal. This is great, and this is an opportunity because I've wanted to work for Dave. I had talked to them two years earlier. It wasn't a good opportunity at the time. It was more a kick-the-tires conversation. And I felt like, man, I can do a lot for them. And this would be a massive leap in my career. And I might end up staying there for the rest of my career, or it'd be a great springboard. And as he's telling me this, I'm going, wait a second. That means I got to give up the Ken Coleman show. I've worked my butt off. I have bled for this show. To, and I, and I, I want to be a nationally syndicated radio show host. Yep. And... There's nothing in this description of this job that allows me to keep doing my show. And he addressed that. He's like, I understand you've put a lot of time in this. And right now we're not hiring another Ramsey personality. I know you've already written a book because I had already written my book. One question. That's a whole nother crazy story. And, and we'll do a follow up. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. And so it's like, don't be uh, sorry. There's no uh, time or constraints. I just want to respect your time. Yeah. Well, and so I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, I'm going to have to give this up. It was probably besides meeting my wife, deciding to adopt kids, probably the third biggest life decision that I had no doubts about. None. And I was like, all right. So I didn't say that in the meeting. We just sat there and he said, I just want to think about it and pray through it and all this kind of stuff. So I said, okay, great. And uh, I remember you know, walking out of the elevator on the first floor of the building and walking into the parking lot and getting in the car and calling my wife. And she answered, you know, and the kids are going bananas in the background, I'm sure. you know. <laughs> and I said, uh, she answered the phone. I said, babe, I think we're coming back to Nashville because we had lived in Nashville early on. And, and she was like, what? And so I walked her through the story I just told you all. And she knew it was just a massive door swinging wide open. And uh, so... That was about eight years into the, seven years into the journey. And I'll never forget seven years earlier to that story. 
told my wife one night, I said, I think it's going to take five to seven years to catch a major break. I think that's, it's going to take that long because I'm starting from scratch. I'm older. I'm going to have to really dig. Are you in? And she says, I'm in. And so I'll never forget coming home to Atlanta that night and uh, drove, got in late one or two in the morning and we just cried. It was so awesome to see God's hand kind of just guide us and move us. And we thought it was a great opportunity. You know, it was a lot of emotion attached to it because we loved where we lived, but we just knew it was the right thing. And so that's what got me to Ramsey Solutions. And, you know, I played my part, filled that role that I just described for three years and uh, and then got the opportunity to step into the Ramsey personality role and the Ken Coleman show came back to me way faster than we thought. And what's really cool about this is when I let go of the Ken Coleman show, I did miss it for a while. But at the same time, I just, I was so excited about the future and I felt like something bigger was going to be in store. And it was May of 17 when the leadership and Stacey and I met and they said, we want you to be a Ramsey personality. You've paid your dues. We think you've got... We think you've got a big heart and a big message, but we, we want to dive into it. And so we did. We spent several days, you know, kind of plotting through what my message was, what my mission was. And they said, man, we love it. And we want to get behind you. And you're a Ramsey personality, which is a massive, you know, massive, massive blowtorch behind you. But the, here was the thing. So Dave said, here's the deal. You still got these other roles that you fill. And we got to replace you. So it's going to take, it's going to take maybe six months to replace you. And so in the meantime, let's work on you replacing yourself, train. We got to find the person you got to train them. And then I want you just focus on your content. Just, just study, just release yourself to truly develop your methodology based on your theology and philosophy. And so I did that. And I, I remember I was in Orlando, Florida with my wife and kids. We were doing a big event called the Entree Leadership Summit. And because it was in Orlando, I brought the wife and kids with me. And then we were going to go spend a couple of days at Disney after the event was over. And uh, it was Thursday, the day after the event was over. And I was literally standing on the sidewalk waiting for the Disney bus to pick us up and take us to the Magic Kingdom. And my phone rings and it's Jeremy Breland, my leader. He leads all the personalities here. And uh, understand now this is June. It's one month after officially announcing to the company that I was a Ramsey personality. And I'm thinking, Dave, that I'm going to be spending six to eight months kind of figuring out what's next. And, 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 and is there going to be a Ken Coleman show again? Like I'm allowing that to creep in. And Jeremy goes, Hey bro, you got a second? I go, yeah. He goes, I hope you're sitting down. He said, now listen, what I'm about to tell you may not happen, but there's a good chance it could happen too. But you just need to know about it. I want to get your take. And I'm like, what is he about to say? <laughs> and he says, we've been, he says, Brian Mayfield, who leads our media team has been talking to Sirius XM and they want to do a Dave Ramsey channel on Sirius XM and they would have the podcast of our other personalities on there as well. And of course we run Dave's for show for three hours. They may run it later in the day, another three hours, but in between uh, they want to do content and Dave and Brian talked and Dave's confidence in you is high. And they want to give you a one-hour live show leading into Dave Ramsey. And I wow. mean, I'm like, I'm about ready to fall over. You could have pushed me over with a feather. And I said, are you kidding me? He goes, no, man. He goes, how do you feel about it? What's your confidence level? Because we won't do it if you don't feel you can do it. He goes, no, let's do it. 
I said, it'd be caller driven, right? And I could take calls and advise them. Just like, he goes, it's whatever you want. And I said, yeah, I'm in. He's like, well, it may happen really, really fast. I said, what do you mean really, really fast? He goes, they're looking at a, they're looking at a June 30 start. I'm sorry, a July 30, July 31. And I, it's like, we're in June. I go, what? I go, we can't even get a website spun up. I mean, we have no branding. We have none of that right now. This is all fresh. And he's like, I know, dude, it's crazy. Let's just see what happens. Well, two weeks later, we get confirmation it's going to happen. And we, thankfully, we were able to push the start date out so we could throw a website up. And it was September 11 of 2017 that the Ken Coleman Show came back to life on Sirius XM, a national platform. And that was literally the, a dream coming true. A dream, a dream coming true, and that's uh, so awesome. I, I remember telling my wife years, you know, it's like Sirius XM would be awesome. It's a it's an open ended format. I can do long form radio, and I'll never forget that it was a year after that, Dave, that I got to host the Ken Coleman show live from New York in the Sirius XM. And I got to tell you, man, that was like that was that was such a unbelievable day to kind of experience all the years of grinding. The fear, the doubt, the pride, the failure, the rejection, and then to be sitting there in Sirius XM studios down the hall from Howard Stern, across the hall, Al Roker from the Today Show was doing his radio show live. Next to me, Hoda, Hoda Cobb was doing her show. It was nuts. And I'm going, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know. And then it hit me. I'm doing exactly what I was created to do. Man, and that's the great transition for the listeners. Your whole book is that you don't have to stay in a job you hate. And you put in the book to close in, it was beautiful. You said you were created to fill a unique role. The world needs you to fulfill it. I love that. So if you're listening today, you know, some people are born and from a child, they know exactly what they're going to do. But for most people, they don't. And they're still searching. Some people jump into what they're told to do and they go autopilot through the motions, you know, high school, college, work. And then by the time they're in their 40s or 50s, they're looking back at their life like, what just happened? So Ken just shared his remarkable story with us. And there's still more. We may have to get you for another episode. Let's do it, man. But if you're listening and you're trying to find that purpose, or you know that purpose, and you're trying to figure out how to act on it, pick up Ken's book. And this isn't a shameless plug to sell copies. This is so you can fulfill your destiny, glorify God, and help people with your life. So Ken, I thank you so much for sharing this, for writing this book. And again, we could go another hour, but I want to respect your time. Before we close the show today, is there anything else specific that you want to talk about or address? I just want people that are listening to this that, that feel as though their time has passed, that they don't have anything to offer to the world. I hope you hear me from the bottom of my heart. That's just simply not true. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have something to offer to the world. And if you can get clear on the three big indicating questions, which is, what do I do best? What do I love to do most? And what matters most to me? The results that matter most. If you can get clear on those three questions, uh, you will see multiple ways in the marketplace for you to make your contribution. And I would tell you that all work is honorable. 
And so I think you've got to get to a point where you can get victory over fear, doubt, and pride. And one of the ways you do that is by getting clear with those three questions. And if you can do that, I promise you, uh, your best days are ahead, and there's still plenty for you to do. And as Dave, as you said, that's how I op- that's how I close the book, but that's how I open every radio show. That uh, somebody out there needs you to be you, and so that means you're valuable. But it means you also got to do it. You got to show up. Uh, you've got something to contribute, and uh, the world needs you. So believe that and act on that. Man, that's awesome, Ken. I thank you so much. Do you have time for one more question, or do you have to bolt? Do let's do it. Oh, thank you so much. One of the ways that Satan attacks us, as you've already said, is fear and doubt. And he puts thoughts in our head, and he'll torment us with these thoughts. You're no good. You have no worth. You're trash. And a bunch of words I can't say on the air, right? Yes. Those thoughts come in all of our heads. Some people are more prone to fall to them. For the listener right now, hearing the Ken Coleman story and being like, well, look at the talent this guy has. Of course he can make it. You have those same doubts. I have those doubts. But to the listener hearing your voice now, what kind of encouragement could you give them and maybe steps to get out of that funk? Yeah, you know, I talked about it earlier. There's a three-step process here that when you're faced with fear and doubt and pride that you, that you can use. But before I share the steps, you've got to understand this. You're never going to eliminate fear and doubt or pride. You're just not. It's just part of the journey. And so I think you could be way more encouraged when you realize I'm not abnormal. Everybody deals with fear, doubt, and pride at every level of success. So understand that you'll never eliminate them. Uh, it, it is all about how do I overcome them to the point that I can step over them or step through these enemies. So I talked about this process a little bit earlier, but I'll make it more concise. Number one, it's a lie. So what what is happening there? And you talked about Satan's using that voice to really try to paralyze you or get you to turn around and walk the other way to quit, to take your ball and go home. So it's a lie. So what we have to do is we have to literally get it out of our head. We know from psychology studies that when we take a thought and we write it down, it's so much easier for us to focus on it and to really see clearly because you got all these thoughts spinning around your head. If I write down the thought, so here's what I say. I say, name it. So step one is name the fear, name the doubt, name the pride. You got to name it specifically. And so you say, I am afraid of what people will say, just for example. So you write that down and then you can see it and you look at it and that's the first step. And you go, okay, and this is the process here. And we go, okay, I'm afraid of what they're going to say. I'm afraid they're going to say this. I'm afraid they're going to say this. Whatever it is, you look at that and you go, okay, there it is. I just named it. Now we want to deconstruct it. That's step two. So we want to deconstruct this. Well, what, what are they going to say? Are they really going to say that? And if they say that, is it actually true just because they said it? Do people even care that much about my life that, you know, they're going to comment on it or are they just going about their life? You know, whatever it is. And you begin to deconstruct it and you say, okay, this is, I just wrote it down. There it is. I named it. Now I deconstruct it. And you put it on the witness stand and you prove that it's a liar. And that leads to step three. Once we have exposed it and we've deconstructed it, we can look at it and go, oh my gosh, how silly is that? It's the equivalent of a kid calling you in at night going, there's a monster under my bed. 
No, there's no monster under the bed. But the only way the kid relaxes and actually will go to sleep is if, if we as parents turn the light on, get down on all fours, and stick our head under the bed and come back up with our head still attached to our body. Then the kid goes, oh, okay, thank you, Daddy. I can go to sleep. Oh, my gosh, I can sleep. <laughs> Same deal here. And so the third step is to focus on the truth. Just like the kid, <coughs> excuse me, just like the kid realizes that there's no monster under the bed. We now realize that the thing or things that we are fearing, the things, the thing that we uh, are focused on from a doubt standpoint or the pride that's holding us back, it's all a lie and not true at all. And so now we can focus on the truth. So if the fear is saying this, now we can say, all right, that's the fear, the voice of fear. And I'm going to now take that out of my mind. I'm no longer going to focus on the fear. I'm going to focus on the truth. And um, the truth is, is that there are a lot of people out there that believe in me, and a lot of people that support me, and a lot of people that will help me, a lot of people that will connect me, a lot of people will guide me. And so now your entire, we know this from science, your entire physiology changes too, because of what we focus on in our head is what we act on. It's not the other way around. You can't act your way into thinking properly. You've got to change the mindset first. And uh, so we have to realize that while we are spiritual beings and we have souls, we also have this thing called a brain and it, and we've got to be able to come at it that way too. And so that's the three-step process that will allow you to overcome fear, doubt, and pride. Well, thank you so much, Ken. That's super important, powerful. It's been a blessing to have you on the show today. To the listeners, if you want to connect with Ken, if you want more information, links to his materials, check out the show notes. Also, I have been given an extra copy of The Proximity Principle. So if you'd like a copy, put a quote, a comment on the website or an Apple Shoot me an email at me at davidpasqualone.com. And I'm the first person to put the note, you get the book. So, Ken, thanks for being here today, brother. You truly are a remarkable man. I appreciate you. And is there anything else we can do for you before we close the show? Oh, man, I just appreciate you having me on. For anybody that wants a lot of the free resources or how to connect with me on social media, all of that is at kencoleman.com. Wow. What a great show. Thank you, Ken. And for you, the audience, our remarkable community, thank you for being there and listening. The comments you're leaving are so encouraging. Christian850, part of a remarkable community, you said you can learn so much through other people's experiences. Great info, and I look forward to hearing more in the future. The podcast is amazing. Thank you, Christian850. And to another remarkable community member, Prayer72, we have a very broken society. The world needs more remarkable people. Great show, great guests, leaves you feeling like there's still hope to glorify God. Absolutely. Thank you, Prayer72. We appreciate you. And for all of you, we appreciate you. Don't forget, if you want a copy of Ken's latest book, You can always go to the website and there's a special deal going on. Look at the show notes for the link. But then also you can go ahead first person to write me an email or put a social media post or a comment in a directory. Boom. We'll get you a free book. And then don't forget the podcast. If you want to learn to podcast, sign up for the email list and then shoot me an email and say, Dave, hook me up and you'll have a $395 lifetime membership free And then thank you, Pam Heinold, again for sponsoring our show. 
And to our guests, if you need anything, let us know. We love you. Don't forget, don't just listen to the show, but do it, repeat it, and have a great life. This is David Pasquale with the Remarkable People Podcast. Until next time, peace. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life.